you, you've got this balance between efficiency and friendship. And I think what we've realised is when you focus on friendship, uh, you counterintuitively end up with efficient systems mm, because people enjoy yep. doing the ministry and they creatively and, and a sense of fun think about their ministry and continuing bouncing ideas of each other and end up doing efficient ministry. Welcome back to the Shock Resolver podcast. It is, as always, excellent to have you along with us and it's always excellent to have my two special co-hosts with me. <laughs> Tim, not wearing a denim jacket this week. No, no, I'm not. That's good. Just, yeah. just, like, the, just the black, the black, black button, button up. up. Yeah. You're yeah. all business today. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Was that because you were cooking breakfast for us this morning and you didn't want to get grease on the on the shirt? Well, I, was, I wore the denim apron oh. uh, when I was cooking, yeah, to make sure that it did get the grease didn't get on the, the black business shirt. I wish I wish you kept the apron on for the podcast. That would have been, uh, that would should have. have. Exciting. Yeah. 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 Anyway, <laughs> no aprons for you. No. Uh, Chicago Cubs hat though, because yes. you're on your way to America later yes. this year, aren't you? Mm-hmm. How excellent. So Chicago is mm-hmm. one of the main areas. Yes. Oh, that's very exciting. Uh, so you're planning to go there very soon, because yes. that's my segue into what we're going to talk about to start off this episode is our planning day, Smooth. which we... <laughs> oh, you're planning to <laughs> yeah. go there. What like, a segue. Okay. <laughs> hey, I see what you're doing with that. Yes, um, we had our planning day last week. We kind of talked, to, we previewed it on the on last week's episode, but we had a planning day for Sorrel Bible Church and uh, like to get both of your reflections on it because I, I really enjoyed it. Tim, do you want to go first and then shoot? Yeah, I would love to. Um, I really, really enjoyed uh, the planning day. It was, in terms of uh, the, the culture that was set, uh, the people that are involved were really well attended, um, but it was, um, it was fun. It was focused. We had particular questions that we were trying to get out. We had lots of brainstorming ideas, um, great balance between things that were said up front, but also a lot of table group time so that people who came were really engaged in contributing to the whole discussion. And I just thought the whole day went uh, fantastically, yeah, and lots of things to generate um, more imagination of where we could mm-hmm. continue to go forward. And I think we talked about last week that we've we've had done uh, 10 years in an established church. Uh, before that, there was 20 years as the youth community at Guymere. So there's been 30 years of youth, of sorry, ministry of soul revival. Um, and so we're sort of celebrating all of that. And we're also looking forward and thinking about uh, what next and part of this series about the momentum in ministry is the not getting to that plateau but actually continuing to, to kick upwards um, and preempt any plateauing as well. So that was part of the, what we talked about was ways in which we continue to uh, not just rest on what has been done but continue to look forward um, and anticipate uh, the ministry that is yet to come, mm. which is really exciting. I thought it was a great moment uh, for us as a church just to kind of like almost draw a line in the sand after what happened with COVID and how, how we dealt with COVID and stuff like that. Was that what you thought too, Stu? Mm, and yeah, I think so. I think there's been a lot of disruption for for obvious reasons. And uh, it's interesting that at a planning day you talk about how are people going and people have an opportunity to talk about how they're impacted by the last couple of years but also how they're keen to start looking forward. But also the structures of the church have been you know, really disrupted by COVID as well. And even though we've been uh, out of lockdown now for quite a while, it's interesting to me that the impacts of that are still evident. There's still uh, structures that we need to rebuild. And today we're talking about structures and people. 
And so I think that's really relevant. So, um, yeah, I was saying to our staff that it's like a cyclone's gone through a resort and yet all the people started rocking up to the resort, but we've still got palm trees in the pool. So <laughs> it's not like we've had time to sort of get the palm trees out of the pool and have everything look nice for when all the people start coming back. Um, people are back. And so in a way, it's sort of it's where the methodology of that metaphor breaks down because it's actually all the people who come to the resort are helping to mm. get the palm trees out of the pool, I think. So. I like the picture of people just pulling the deck chairs out of the pool for some reason. Yeah, yeah, and the cabanas funny. that yeah. blew down the Sounds beach. Sounds like a nice uh, church as well, just by beach resort. That'd be quite nice. <laughs> yeah, great church, actually. Soul Revival, Port Douglas. Mm, imagine a pool. <laughs> yeah. Sipping, sipping drinks at the pool. Yeah, just sitting there listening to the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any some, other, some any other might, reflections? Someone, someone might take that and run with it. They might <laughs> get back to us and let us know how it goes. <laughs> any other reflection on the planning day except for that? Uh, I, I think it was great having a lot of different ages present at yeah. the planning day. We had a lot of young people mm-hmm. and we were just talking before the podcast started that I think, at, at personally speaking, as a senior minister, if I don't have young people in my core leadership group inputting into the, the vision of the church, then... I wouldn't really know how to fully uh, run the whole church because young people are not just the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today as well. So I think having the young people here, and I was really pleased, Tim and I were talking about how the congregation were really embracing the young people too. It wasn't mm. just me keen to hear their thoughts, mm. but lots of people were like, yeah, this makes sense. Young people are here. This is good. Uh, so, yeah, and there wasn't a conflict between – I mean, there probably was a little bit. We had breakout groups as well, so they might have been in some of the great breakout groups. But um, – a, a lot of experience between having young people and old people coming together is a bit of a fight over resources or, you know, should we have these songs or these songs or does this service get more resources than that? But having an all-age, all-stage church means that everybody's together and it's more like a family trying to make sure everyone's included. Mm. And I got a bit of that vibe. Mm. It was good. Yeah, I love like how we, we kind of started <coughs> um, how, how – like how God has blessed us and mm. I thought that was a great way to start and I mm. think everyone got really fired up about that that's and a good point we kind of moved towards like setting the vision what we want to do up until 2030 and then we started getting really into the nitty gritty as mm. well of we actually have to work on this like we we can reflect on what God's done for us but now we, we want to keep working for him as he partners mm. to build his church we partner with him to build his church mm. and I think that was what really worked well on the planning day was like this is what we've done it's been, it's been so great what, how God's blessed us how are we going to move forward now after we've had this disruption of some mm. things like COVID and other things like that? So that's what it really encouraged me. And um, yeah, I just, um, I'm just thankful for the for everyone in the in the team that actually set it up that way because it was fun. And we were moving around a lot too, which was good and getting the getting the uh, thoughts going. But mm. let's return to our um, season on momentum in ministry, and we're using a, a, a book called Breakout Churches by Tom Rainer to kind of um, engage with and 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 kind of steer the conversation. Um, the next uh, chapter that we looked at was, uh, was what's called the Who, What, Simul track, which sounds a bit confusing, but what happens is it comes after the ABC moment that Tom Rainer talks about, which is uh, awareness, belief, and crisis. And the Who, What, Simul track is once you've realised that there needs a, a change needs to occur, according to him, uh, you need to focus on your people and the structures around those people, and they need to happen simultaneously. We just so they happen on the same track. Is that what he's saying? So it's still very much coming towards, as we've talked about before. Uh, there's a breakout going towards a, a crisis and a breakout moment which we have said the way that we try and uh, model our leadership and church is around actually uh, ensuring that that doesn't have to ca- have actually happen 
Um, but he did say something which was interesting, and I wanted to start this with and throw it out and see what you guys think. Uh, Stu, why don't you get your response first on this one? He said that compatibility is as, is as important as competency in leadership. And then I just wrote discuss in our notes. What, what, do, you, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. When I was a lot younger, I remember having conversations with youth leadership teams that would go on forever and ever about topics that would come up that uh, would get in the way of mission. And what, what used to happen is, uh, I remember when I was younger that there were so few people helping out in youth ministry, and this would apply to a lot of different ministries, but yeah, there was just this need for youth leaders. So they just bring all these different people in as youth leaders, and then everyone would get together and we're all thinking about the practice of youth ministry. Yes, I'd be willing to help out with the practice of youth ministry, but eventually, uh, what would happen is people's views on theology and their views on the strategy of the group would come to bubbling up to the surface as we were planning week by week and doing things. So I remember an example of that is one time we had um, uh, a couple of leaders who didn't think we should use the Bible in the youth group because that was old-fashioned. And then there was me and a few other people who thought the Bible was really important. And it became really clear that none of us had had a conversation before we joined the team about what we actually believed. And so now we were stuck as a team in this ministry trying to work out how to run the ministry but having very different opinions on theology. And so what occurred to me really early on is I think it makes a lot more sense to have less leaders who are on the same page than have lots of leaders who are going to argue about how we do things week to week because that actually gets in the way of discipleship and mission because the energy we put into disagreement can actually... Um, could have been put into mission and discipleship. So uh, I remember when when I was first tasked with forming teams, I started having conversations with people and let them know where my theology was and let them know that this was going to be important if they were going to join the team. And I remember some people thinking it's kind of irrelevant and a bit intrusive and surely you're wanting me to help with the youth group. And I'm like, yeah, but... Like I'm an evangelical, I'm a reformed evangelical and it's really important that we understand that if we're going to be running a ministry together. Um, So um, a really funny story, like when I was in the middle of that conversation with some of the youth leaders at Guy Anglican Church in the, I think it was the late 80s actually, it was even before Soul Revival started, when we were running a youth group uh, when I first started being a youth leader and uh, I got tasked with running a year 10 group, uh, year, year no, actually, sorry, year 11 and 12 group. And I'd just been given this group and these other leaders came into the team because they were appointed to it as well and we're all trying to run this group. But two of the leaders didn't want to have the Bible. I wanted to have the Bible. Anyway, I asked one of my mates, uh, a guy called Rusty, to come along to help with the youth group. And that night we came, the girls wanted to show what the youth group would look like without the Bible being taught. And Rusty came along and he said, um, man, this is just babysitting. When you've sought the group out, give me a ring and I'll come back, but I'm not wasting my time. So yeah, it was kind of humorous really. So after that moment, I remember thinking, look, it's really important. We, we're going to have the Bible, you know, I was only 18 or 19, I think, but you know, I'm like, we need to have the Bible as part of this group. And, and the two girls, it was really sad actually, because they were two friends of mine, but the two girls said, well, actually, no, I don't think I can do this anymore. So that's how passionate they were about it. Mm. But um, as sad as that was, it it sort of probably released them to go and do what they wanted to do for the Lord and released us to do what we were doing for the Lord. So, yeah, actually having that moment and seeing that even though I lost half my leadership team, Rusty came back and the two of us started <laughs> again. So, And we only had four or five kids. So, um, 
we uh, found that the fact that we were both reformed evangelicals and we really loved the word of God and really thought that what we were trying to do was mature young Christians in Christ using the Bible and then together reach out to others who weren't Christians, that was really important. So, yeah, I, I really agree with what he's saying there. Um, and I would say, yeah, today I would look for people who would be theologically aligned uh, and also strategically aligned. We could talk more about the strategy stuff a bit later, but in my mind, the theology and the overall strategy of what you're doing to put that theology into practice in your area is really important. Mm, okay, well, I think that's a really good way to start. Uh, Tim, do you want to riff on that compatibility is important as competency in leadership as well? Yeah, when I saw this, it immediately made me think back to um, a fairly familiar um, paradigm in our circles, which is... Um, to look out for character, conviction and competency. So this is uh, a familiar triptych that uh, has come out of um, sort of Matthias Media, Chelsea and the Vine, which we've talked about a lot before, um, the Ministry of MTS, which Ministry Training Scheme, um, and others that are uh, very influential in our circles. And um, and so this idea that, uh, that the most important thing you're looking for is someone's character, um, as in like you're looking for them to be a Christian who is displaying the fruits of a Christian life. Uh, and so that's the key thing that you're looking for. Um, and then closely following that is this idea of conviction. And this would be, you would have things like your theological conviction, your strategy conviction, um, your beliefs about what who Jesus is and what he is doing while you're doing this particular ministry. Um, for youth and children's ministry particularly, you want people who genuinely think that children and youth are the church of today, not just the church of tomorrow. Um, you know, I, there could be a really lovely person who um, has displaying the characteristics of Christianity but thinks that you know children's ministry is just really great babysitting and one day they'll become real Christians and they can join in church uh, and for that person you know I'd want to challenge them and help train them but I probably wouldn't put them on my children's ministry team mm. straight away if yeah because there would be a strong conflict of strategy there um, and intentionally the last of these three is competency which ties in which th this quote here and that is competency is your actual skills to be able to do the task of ministry uh, and the reason that's intentionally last is because it's a lot easier to teach a skill of ministry than it is to form character. You can form character, and we intentionally want to form character, but it's a slow process to form character. Um, whereas the competencies of being up front and leading a game or being able to pull apart a Bible passage and put it back together in a talk that you would deliver to teenagers or young adults or children um, you know creative things that you might use in you know children's ministry how to do creative teaching times with you know chalk talks or puppets or any of those kind of things they're all just the they're the competency things they're important for effective ministry um, but they can be taught and that's why it's intentionally last and so I think the the relationship there between those three character conviction and competency and this quote that that compatibility is as important as competency i think there's there's a high level of resonance there they've both kind of picked up on that idea that yeah there's these other things that are far more important than whether someone can do a job it's not unimportant but it's the least of importance because you can always train someone to do a job and i think that that's mm -hmm. that's really key there yeah it's kind of like um, i mean i've heard it, uh, one uh, uh, quote is uh, attitude over skills is more important so like that uh, obviously not that's not i think the three c's that you're talking about is probably a lot more rigorous in, <laughs> in terms of describing that but it's all it is i think that is um apparent applicable in, in a lot of scenarios even when i've seen it in the workplace is that people can always learn lots of things but it depends on what their 
attitude is to actually being part of the team and being aligned with what everyone's saying. So that makes a lot of sense, what both of you said. Mm. Um, going back to Rainer, he's got that who, what, similar track that he likes to call it, but I thought it'd be worth kind of going in between who and, and what. Um, and I thought maybe, especially because, as uh, you talked about being aligned theologically, one of the, uh, we may as well focus on the what, which is kind of the structures or infrastructure that you have at, at the particular church. Um, and one of the things that he talks about is the most important is the church purpose. And um, that's why I was really um, impressed that it aligned with what you were saying as well. Um, he uses the example of purpose-driven model, which is what Rick Warren created. But he said that it begins with the question, what is the church supposed to do? So um, I'd really love you. You've, we've, we've talked about theology, strategy and practice before, Stu, but I'd really love you to kind of say that what we do at Sorrow of Hollow and why it's important to be aligned theologically first and then strategically and then practice follows next. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a similar concept obviously we've kind of read fairly broadly and been thinking about this over a number of years and our listeners and viewers all uh you know have different ways of approaching this but everyone has has a concept of why do they do what they do so with purpose-driven churches you know what is the church supposed to do or be or you know what's the purpose of the church we we ask the question why do we plant churches why do we run a youth group why do we have kids ministry why do we do what we do? And for us, the answer is that uh, Jesus changes everything. And that's our summary of our Reformed Evangelical theology because we believe that when Jesus came and he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he did change history. And he's continually changing history one person at a time. Uh, the famous evangelist Billy Graham used to ask quite a powerful question sometimes in, he, in the talks that he gave in the rallies and his crusades and he used to ask the question what is a Christian and a Christian is someone who according to Colossians chapter 2 has the Holy Spirit indwelling them so it's about a personal relationship with Jesus and so once you have a personal relationship with Jesus you've repented of your sin and you've put your faith in Jesus that he died on the cross for you and your sin then then we believe as evangelicals that um, that that we have, we have actually um, been given a new nature, uh, a new spiritual nature. And so Jesus changes us and he's continuing to change people all over the world. And the really beautiful thing is he calls on us, the church, to partner with him as he is changing everything. So our why is, well, if Jesus is changing everything and he calls on us to partner with him, then that's what we should do. We should partner with him and work out how we do that. And so... Um, we, we, we say our why is Jesus changes everything and then to help us to understand how do we partner with Jesus, our how question is answered with the phrase sharing the truth and love of Jesus to everyone everywhere and that how is like a strategic decision. So what we think about is we're partnering with Jesus and we're doing it in our time and place and in our time and place we want to share the truth and love of Jesus we could make a choice to do that just with a certain demographic, just to people who live in the Shire or just to people who are Anglos or just to young adults or just to teenagers or you know, people make those sort of choices in their strategy sometimes. But we've made a choice not to have a target group, uh, which has actually been to our detriment sometimes. We, we applied for some funding from a Christian organisation once and I remember on the form it said, what, do, what is your target group that you're trying to reach with your new church plan? And I wrote, 
no target group and the organisation got back to me and said the reason you didn't succeed in your application is because you haven't thought through who you're targeting enough and we don't think it's going to work because you haven't got a target group. So that's a really clear example of how strategies can be very different. So we've got the same why as evangelicals often but a decision to not have a particular age group to target means that we don't have age-specific ministries. So we talk about sharing the, the truth and love of Jesus person to person, generation to generation, culture to culture, place to place, and now on the internet space to space. So that sort of helps unpack that for us. And and that's a decision to not have a target group. So that's a strategy. Um, the practice that we have comes as a what what question what are we going to do so if jesus changes everything that's why we do what we do and how we're going to partner with jesus is to share the truth and love of jesus what are we actually going to do in all our ministries what are they going to look like well we've got a phrase that encapsulates discipleship and mission so we talk about discipling committed christians to be on mission together and so the idea is that um, we're going to take Jesus at his word when he says the most important thing is to love God and love your neighbour. I'm paraphrasing Matthew 22, 37 to 40 there. But if we're going to think about who our neighbour is that we're going to love, well, our Christian neighbours, we disciple them, and our non-Christian neighbours, we go on mission to them. So, so that's our sort of framework that we use that has those three thought thoughts um, so rather than just going straight from theology to practice, I think it's good for churches to think, what is our strategy? Mm-hmm. And even if our listeners and viewers might be sitting there thinking, oh, I don't really have a strategy, you probably do if you have a look for it. You mm-hmm. probably have one. So yeah, that's well, I what I think is about that. In terms of strategy, you just brought it up then. And in relation to what we were doing at the planning day, we, we talked about how we reflected on what's happened and then we set the vision of, you know, um, we want to double up our mission, discipleship and resources by mm. 2030. And everyone got really excited about that. And then what I thought was interesting is that the, the real hard point was when we started talking about how are we going to do that? Mm. Do you think, and I'll start, we'll start with him, but I think Stu's definitely get, worth getting your full thoughts on this as well. Do you think strategy is the hardest to do out of all those three? Because we can agree on our theology, uh, and we can do things like you, you were saying before about like um, craft and things like that. But is strategy the hardest thing to do? I think it's it's the one, as you said, that people don't often think about. And so um, it is unnatural for people to put themselves in a space to think about the how uh, and to think about uh, how do I turn this theology into this practice? And it's the lens through which you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I do a lecture at um, YouthWorks College on this where I'm helping people develop a children's ministry philosophy and using these same three categories. You know, he, what do you, what's theologically do you think you know, the Bible says about children, about church, about families, about what are all the different theological concepts that need to be brought into your understanding here? Um, and then what's your strategy, which is the lens through which you will then do practice? And one of the things we talk about is that you might end up doing a children's ministry that looks very similar to the church down the road, but you may come at it very differently um, because of the strategy in the middle. Or it might be you actually, you may agree theologically with the church down the road, but you end up with different ministry practices. Um, Why is that? Well, it's got to do with your strategy, whether you realise it or not. And so we talk about those kinds of things and wrestle around, but it is, it's a harder piece to sort of conceptualize i think for many people and so and uh, a lot of people that i talk to um in my role have this you know well the bible says this and therefore we do this 
and they either don't realise that there's a strategy that they go through or there's just a overwhelming culture of you always do it this way and so they don't think about it. So the homogeneous unit principle is a really good example of a strategy that a lot of people have just assumed, well, that's of course how you do church. Um, and for many of us who, for those of us particularly who grew up in churches through children's ministry and youth ministry and are now in leadership positions, we think back to what we know um, and a lot of it was homogeneous because we're now uh, you know, two or three generations into that experiment of really strong homogeneous unit principle. And so, which is breaking up the church into different age groups. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, it should explain that. Yeah. So the homogeneous unit principle breaks it up. So you have a siloed, uh, relatively siloed children's ministry, then a youth ministry, then a young adult ministry, then other ministry, and probably a seniors ministry up the other end. Uh, and then, so that's just an assumed part, but it's actually it's a strategy, and it doesn't have to be the only strategy. So as we talk about intergenerational ministry, it's another strategy. It's a different strategy that's going to end up with different practice and different results. So, but it is a challenging aspect because it's often unsaid, um, it's often hidden. And one of the things that we have tried to do, one of the things that I've, you know, I've grown up with Stu talking about is being really explicit about strategy. Mm. And so I feel like I feel quite equipped to talk, to diagnose and help other people think about their strategy. And it's largely because of how explicit Soul Revival has been over the last 30 years of saying, naming the strategy, noticing it, pointing it out, contrasting it with other possible options. Um, also, I think one of the things we've really humbly said is it's not the only way to do church. Mm. It's just that we've, we've committed to a strategy. Yeah, articulated um, it. We've articulated it. Um, it's not the only way to do faithful Christian ministry. It's just a way and it's the a way, but by labeling it and naming it um, brings a clarity to it, which helps you then think mm. is practice. And I think what it does at the other end then is it helps you to evaluate what you do. So as you think about our practice, why do we want to do that? Why do we want to have um, particular, you know, a church planning strategy? Why do we want to have this type of children's ministry, youth ministry, late night ministry? And you evaluate it all through your strategy, all of which is underneath theology, which is the starting point because God's word is above it all. Mm. I feel like it's difficult, Stu, but vital. Would you agree? Mm, I think so. Um, Timothy Keller has said some similar things. He uses different words for it, and I can't remember quite what his words were, but his argument was similar to what Tim just said, which is you can have two churches that believe the same theology, but then you can see different practice. And mm. he asked the question, why have they got different practice? And, um, yeah, the different practice might come from what we would call a strategy of ministry. So... Theologically, evangelical churches would have an agreement around the fact that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that is that is the, the the most amazing moment in history, and that he showed he defeated sin and death, and he rose from the dead triumphant, and he did what he said he was going to do in Mark chapter one verse ten when he said, you know, I've come to bring the kingdom of heaven, repent and believe the good news. So that theological framework that a lot of evangelicals have is well we're going to proclaim the gospel we're going to preach the gospel and yet you can see two churches in our area of southern sydney you can see churches that have the same theological paradigm which is we're going to preach the gospel week in week out mm -hmm. and we're going to teach the bible uh, and then what you can see is that they have different frameworks around that that we call strategy so some churches break up all their people into age groups now that doesn't come from the bible that's not 
an explicit teaching, it's the homogeneous unit principle to say let's let's have a traditional service for older people, contemporary family service for families, and then a youth service for young people. And I remember when that was first brought in in the 70s, the way it was explained to us wasn't as a strategy because we were the first generation at my church at Gaim Ranglican to adopt that new homogeneous unit principle, which came about in the 1970s. Uh, in the late 70s when they implemented at Gaim they explained it as this is a way to improve our mission and discipleship because young people don't want to listen to the same music as older people, so let's have a different service for them so they'll be able to to have a, a place to bring their friends. But yeah, when, when they first pitched it to us, it was like, well, the theology is let's preach the gospel and let's do it like this because young people are, you know, are not going to go to church with older people in a traditional service, which may or may not have been true. But that's a, that's a strategic decision to say strategically, we don't think bringing the whole church together in one group anymore works, so we're going to split it up. So... We just strategically disagreed with that and said, yeah, but when you break the whole church up, then you miss out on a whole heap of richness of discipleship and missional opportunities. For example, one of the fastest growing um, missional opportunities we have had in Soul Revival is not only since we've started the church as an all-age, all-stage church, we've had young people who are converted as young people in teenage years asking their non non-Christian parents to come to church because the problem at Gaim Ranglican was because of the homogeneous unit principle 75% of people commit to Christ in their teenage years or in their as, as children so presumably you've got 75% of people becoming Christians in their teenage years but they've got nowhere to take their unbelieving parents because they go to a youth service and their parents aren't going to really feel that that's a strategic decision that actually minimises actually um, mission to the teenagers' parents. So what we've seen is by having an all-age, all-sage church where people of all ages can come to a church service, you still get the reality that most people statistically become Christians in their teenage years, but now they've got a place to bring their parents to church as well. So that's a strategic decision uh, that then changes practice. So if you, if you go to a church where there's a service that's a youth service, it'll be predominantly young people. But then if you come to a church service at Soul Revival, you'll see all the different ages mixed in. You still get certain services with certain leanings towards certain ages, but there is a, a representation of all the different ages at all the services. So so that's a strategic decision that we've made. And, yeah, I think coming back to the overall question, like being on the same page, you kind of need that, to have that strategic and that theological unity as a leadership, and then that's going to inform your practice. Did you find that Tim Keller article? Yeah, so I just I briefly skimmed uh, something from Tim Keller's blog, uh, but it, I think it comes out of his book Centre Church um, is kind of what he's riffing on here, but he talks about the middle space between doctrine and methods, uh, and he says this is one of the reasons he wrote Centre Church was to help articulate this middle space uh, and he says the vast majority of resources on how to do church discuss either the biblical basis of church belief and practice or specific ways to adopt certain ministry programs i don't know of any book that instead of asking what should our doctrine be or what should our programs look like instead ask what is our theological vision for ministry in our time and place and so that's what he's talking about in that middle space and he talks about asking questions, for example, of uh, culture. So how are we interacting with our culture at our particular 
cultural moment. Um, how do we interact with our church traditions? How much do we take on from our church traditions? How much do we lay aside, realising that traditions are not the same as doctrinal belief? Um, how much do we use the role of reason and persuasion um, and things like that? So the, that's his kind of, but he's, he's in different language talking about that, that strategy in the middle space. It's not that we're compromising on doctrine, um, but it is shaping our practice and it, we can end up with doctrinally aligned churches that have very different expressions. Uh, and again, he, he draws the same conclusions that it's because you've often, on, often unthinkingly adopted particular um, dispositions to these things uh, and therefore your practice flows out of them. And I think it's a good point to, to say that just like because we do the shock absorber and we obviously have certain leanings to the way that we want to do we, we, we choose to do church and think that is the, a way that we can do church is that it's not the only way. That's there right. Are, there are many, many ways, but yeah, I think it's good the point. fact that we articulate the strategy that we're talking about right now is that sometimes we maybe get a bit of pushback occasionally because it's like, oh, we're actually really passionate about our strategy and that's why it's really important. So, yeah. um, And one of the questions that has come up, um, and I know that Stu's had this for, for 30 years, uh, yeah, is, oh, yes, it, it works in your particular situatedness in you know, the Sutherland Shire, right. um, maybe uh, predominantly Anglo uh, suburban culture might be where this strategy works and it doesn't elsewhere. Um, and we've kind of heard that and go, okay, well, maybe, but let's, let's try and let's experiment. And so we, we have um, different, you know, we've got our ride congregation, uh, which is not in suburban Sutherland Shire, um, and it's not Anglo. Um, and so we're working out, is, is it working? And again, it wouldn't necessarily therefore prove, aha, this is the knockdown only ever vision of church will work. But mm. you know, if there is a robustness to our strategy, it will work outside. And that's one of the things we're really excited about experimenting with mm. and um, hoping to equip others with as well who are in different situations other than our own. Mm. And another encouragement for our planning day was like a lot of our ride crew were over here. They were, contributing yeah. to yeah. That, well, the, our vision and what we were doing for up until 23. And that's part of that uh, shock absorber as well. We're allowing them to shape our culture and allowing them to speak into... Um, us and we're shaping our ministry because of what we're learning from them just like we've talked about in other podcast episodes what we've learned from our indigenous brothers and sisters from western new south wales and we have intentionally shaped and formatted things that we do as our community life together um, based on them and helping them to speak into our um, church life together and shaping what we do mm. as that's part of growing together mm. do you want to add anything else you I just saw you, you're looking, you're like, you're like, I've got something to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, I've been thinking the, um, the strategy piece is how do we partner with Christ in our place and our time? And um, we've given a name to sharing the truth and love of Jesus to everyone everywhere as the shock absorber. So we call our strategy a shock absorber strategy because what that is is it's uh, our young people contributing to the conversation about how we uh, preach the gospel and how do we disciple and how do we mission together. So rather than just a big part of our strategy is not just bringing up the young people to do what we do, but in listening to them, they can help shape what we do at the same time as learning from us about what we do. So uh, that doesn't only that shock absorber idea doesn't only just work with young people, it also works with different cultures. So we talked about ride and our ride community uh, is predominantly people of Chinese background. And so uh, we're listening to each other, learning from each other 
so the shock absorber is about, you know, a car has a shock absorber to help it to go over the bumps in the road and it's about adjusting to change so it can be flexible. So we've looked for a non-static strategy that's flexible and can keep changing where people can contribute to it and, and that's um, why we've called the series um, Getting Momentum because different ways churches do strategies are going to lead to different answers to the momentum question so mm. for us it's continue to be flexible in your approach to ministry and that works pretty well mm. well there's a great point relating it back to momentum is going to look different depending on your strategical um, alignment so uh, so it's good for for people to go what is our strategy and and what are the decisions we're going to need to make within our strategy to help us to move into more momentum yeah fantastic uh, if you do hear uh, some static it's not actually Static. <laughs> Speaking about static churches, it's actually the rain on the roof of Soul Revival Church. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're still talking about structures, and that was a big, big conversation. On just one, we we talked about church purpose. There's like four other categories that Rainer talks about, so I might throw them out there and then see which one you want to hit. I think there's one that I really want to talk about, which is uh, uh, leaders of breakout churches actually had a culture of serious fun amongst the leadership team and anyone that. Um, works together with them. There's also facilities and location, which is not the most important, but they are important in reaching those who don't go to church. So there's a third place theory that we can talk about there. Uh, Small groups are essential, so like community groups or Bible studies, really important with that. And then also the leadership uh, roles within the leadership group are clearly defined. But before we get into either of those three, I'd like a culture of serious fun. only coming I've been uh, working in Sora Vol Church for two years now with you guys just one day a week but there is a culture of serious fun <laughs> which I very much enjoy why do you think uh, in terms of Sora Revival Church why do you think that's important to do because I mean it's something that we've done for years now is doing ministry together as friends why is that so important to do ministries together as friends first to know that we're all we're all aligned but we're also as friends and then how does that play out when we're leading people, whether it's in youth ministry or um, other adult ministries? Why is that important? Quite a few podcasts ago, and we could probably put in the show notes, but when Ian Hussey came on with mm. us and we are doing a whole series based on his research, Ian was looking at the difference between collectivist cultures and individualistic cultures. And individualistic cultures like Anglo cultures in Sydney, for example, can tend to be more transactional. So more individualistic cultures... Ian was saying that when they come to have a meeting together, it's about getting the business done and then going home because mm. it's like annoying if anything gets in, draws out the meeting too long. But he made a really interesting point that I found fascinating, which is he said that in collectivist cultures like Aboriginal cultures, people aren't necessarily going to a meeting to get stuff done. They're actually also going to a meeting to see how everyone's going. And I think that that relational aspect is what I think we've sought to... Uh, achieve at Soul Revival anyway like we still want to get things done so there's a certain transactional aspect to being in the leadership team we need to lead a church together but we have made a conscious decision to have a lot of fun and tell stories and muck around and joke around and that's not for everyone and we say to the people who join our staff you know if you find that frustrating as an individualist uh, transactional person then you might find this a bit frustrating but likewise if someone was fully collectivist then they, they might get frustrated because we do want to get stuff done as well mm. so we've kind of landed in the middle but I, I think the reason for that is that we've thought a lot about 
that ecclesial category of Jesus saying, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends if you do what I say. And so we've been thinking that friendship groups form around special interests where people like to go surfing together or they like certain kinds of music or they like certain movies or they like going to 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 the theatre or whatever and they do that together. Well, what do Christians do together? They, they're on ministry together. So we see our ministry team as a friendship group and that's a very different paradigm to a lot of different Anglos in Sydney in, in, in our uh, context because the staff team are not necessarily friends. Even as Christians, they're paid to do a job and they come and they do that job. And that's not to say they're not friends. They've, obviously, there's a lot of staff teams where people are friends across the city, but it's not an explicit hope that we actually will be friends for the gospel. Uh, it doesn't mean that we'll have everything in common and just um, go see the same movies or the same other <laughs> things. We're actually serving Jesus together. And that abides something that C.S. Lewis said, where he said that he, his view... I can't remember where he said it, I have to look it up. But he said one time that when Christians talk about Jesus, it grows their friendship. But when Christians stop talking about Jesus, they actually reduce in their friendship. Yeah. So we've really embraced that. And so, yeah, we have a lot of fun because friends have fun. Friends have a laugh. Friends all hang out. Uh, so I think that's really good. It's also part of the third place theory that you're talking about, that Oldenburg says uh, third place theory which you can go back again we could put in the show notes to early episodes that talk about third place but we use that a lot but in third place communities um people conversation is a key fun yeah, a key fun thing that happens and there's a lot of fun that takes place in community because people enjoy being together yeah. and so i think we've brought a bit of that back into our our staff teams and our leadership teams that people enjoy being together yeah. as well uh, the, uh, in Rainer's book, it says that uh, there's a, a genuine quote. It says, "These people just seem to have fun." So, <laughs> so that, that's a good description of that. Tim, why don't you um, help us just uh, whiz through a couple of these other categories, though? Um, what about small groups? This is a, he says that small groups are essential and vital to the spiritual health of the church, and that in terms of engagement, Rainer was saying that engagement in small groups is really really important to uh, a church looking to being ready to change and we talked about spiritual maturity a fair bit in the last episode um what do you think about small groups why and why did you think that would be the case as, as rain has observed yeah i think what happens in small groups is there's an intensity of discipleship that mm. is uh is possible if the small group is well run is possible at a level that you you can't do in the medium-sized group which our larger gatherings would be so you there is certain aspects of our discipleship at part of certain aspects of church ministry that happen at different um levels of relationship mm. so i mean you could have a one-on-one -on -one conversation a mentorship type conversation or even just a coffee with a person to talk through something deep and there's obviously a certain intimacy and depth uh, of relationship you can go to at that level. In a small group of around 12 to 15 people, you can do uh, a similar kind of intimacy with uh, a, a medium, a very small group of people. Um, and particularly if you are otherwise friends with these people, like there's other ways, one of the ways that we have thought about doing small groups in the past and even thinking about for the future is maybe doing small groups around ministry teams. So those who are ministering together um, are also doing small group together. And I certainly found Probably the closest small group I ever had was when I was back at Guymere and as a children's minister, I had my children's ministry team and we were doing Bible study together on Tuesday, 
many of those were doing children's ministry on Friday and many of us were doing children's ministry on Sunday. And the, the depth of relationship there, not just simply because of proximity, but proximity and intentionality built around Jesus and outputting together in ministry, in children's ministry Friday and Sunday. And still some of those people are my closest friends now, even though we haven't been together in that group for the last 10 years, but the intensity of relationship we had there and the ministry output we were doing together um, still fuels the friendship that I have with many of those people. So I think that works really well. Uh, And then you've got the sort of medium size um, to large gathering, which would be our our, our Vespers or our combis and um, minis. So, uh, yeah, but the, the reason that small groups is essential is because of that intensity of discipleship you can have with people who are like-minded, uh, wanting to grow together um, and assuming that people are coming there to be supported and to support other people explicitly around the, the word uh, helps to, to shape the culture. Um, and when that culture is being set by the church and helps fuel the church and there's this sort of reciprocal uh, relationship going on there between what's happening in the small group, what's happening in the, the large group can really be a huge fuel. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that Rainer has noticed mm-hmm. that these are a key part of these you know, churches that have good momentum. That's very similar to what you were saying just then, Stu, as well, about doing like how, how relationships get deeper when we're, like Jesus is the centre of them. Absolutely. And I think that was really cool. Uh, so just before we move on to the Who version or the Who track of the Simul track, um, one of the things that you talked about also, Rainer, was leadership groups are clearly defined. So everyone knows who's in which particular role of leadership and things like that. Um, something that's popular these days is, uh, for as one particular example is the five m's ministry model is very popular in terms of how churches organize themselves at sort of church we don't we choose not to 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 go down that path do you want to just kind of tell us why we think that we, we do something slightly differently in terms of, and i'm sure it relates to our strategy as well but um how we choose to define the roles of leadership mm. yeah i think i think that's a good question because uh, we we think that the the discipleship and mission are really important and that in discipleship we're maturing people using the word of god uh, and that's our theological paradigm and our strategy lends itself to community so uh, the other actually the other thing that rain was talking about with facilities and stuff even I, i do think the architect sorry just as a tangent but i do think the architecture is also really important because we're trying to uh help create spaces where people can get to know each other quicker we've actually got a factory that uh is divided into we've got half of the factory is like a cafe space and so people come into the cafe space and once you come into the cafe space there's coffee before church and for half an hour not just 15 minutes or so and then that bleeds into an hour service then after that there's a dinner afterwards and so after the half hour uh, at the cafe people will move into the auditorium for the church service the formal service and then move back into the cafe for dinner and that architecture really facilitates community i mean a lot of our buildings have just been developed for an hour so that people come and go and maybe there's a multi-purpose hall where people can do sunday school or they can do youth group or they can maybe have uh different bits and pieces happening but there's we've deliberately put lounge rooms into our into our spaces so that people uh, just have the visual signals that 
you're welcome to stick around and hang around rather than go straight away. So that, that also bleeds into our leadership structure as well, that uh, with the five M's, there's, uh, I think my, my, my thought on the five M's is a lot of people like it because it's described as being efficient. And so that works really well with an individualistic Anglo approach, which is a bit more transactional. We need to get, get ministry done and do it really well so that we can grow a bigger church. So there's this sense that a generalist pastor doing everything is not efficient. Uh, but if we have someone who looks after music across all the different gatherings of a church, that's more efficient than having uh, different music teams in each church. Um, we, we've kind of gone for a bit of a hybrid model, actually, of that, where we have generalist pastors for each gathering but then we raise up volunteers to oversee what we call service teams and because we're using volunteers to oversee the service teams we have twice as many categories as the five m's so we have 10 categories because that's more achievable for a volunteer to be able to oversee Uh, so we still have service teams that connect the whole church together but we have also got the more traditional i suppose pastor who's looking after their gathering um, I think that uh, moves in well into what we were going to talk about is the who people as well, the who section of the simul track, because we've got, um, you know, the, the sometimes we talk about uh, people finding difficulty to gaining momentum is finding people to serve and actually mm. help out so that we can grow the church, grow the spiritual maturity of people and in order to, uh, as we've said before, be evangelists outside of the church as well. Mm. Um my question in regards to that, though, is uh, how do we do that by avoiding burnout of leaders and volunteers as well? Because when you say that, I've, uh, I think to the, maybe the unlearned ear, they might hear, or oh, you're asking more people to do, or one person to do more things. Um, and the, the 5Ms model is perhaps looking at um, finding the right people with the right gifts and skills that go in the area, which mm. is why it looks efficient. So that's my question, I suppose, is that how do, how do we find, you're talking about probably finding more people to serve in terms of uh, across the 10 service teams, but how do you avoid the burnout of especially volunteers in that kind of I think that's a great example of the strategy that we're talking about or the purpose as uh, 5Ms would call it, because the theological paradigm is still the same, that we're going to preach the gospel and we're going to disciple Christians to be on mission together. But the strategy is, do we do that through having generalist pastors or do we do that through having pastors who are looking after specific areas? Um, our strategy lends itself to community so that the, our leaders, are, it's a lifestyle. It's like it, we, we're having fun, we're doing this together. And as a result, we're inviting you to think about whether you'd like to be part of this or not. So Olden, Oldenburg says that in any third place community, there's regulars and irregulars. Mm. So you can't just have a community full of regulars because that would be closed. Or you can't just have a community full of irregulars because there'd be no one to set the culture. So he says that the culture setting regulars are the ones who are enjoying being together, having fun. There's no compulsion on them. They're not paid to do it. They don't feel like they have to do it. They're choosing to be in that community and they're setting the culture of it. And so I think that's your leadership team uh, across the church. So it's a group of Christians who are saying, and in our paradigm, we'd say not only are the staff friends and the leadership team friends, but we're actually inviting people to be part of a, a gathering that's a family but also we're a big group of friends and what do we do together well, we serve jesus together so what we invite people to think about is be a part of this friendship group and if you uh 
are enjoying being in ministry and you have the capacity to do ministry with us, this is what we do. We all serve together and we enjoy doing that. But if you get burnt out or you feel a bit tired, you could, we have this thing called ministry slide so that you can slide back into being either a regular or a regular who doesn't actually have a commitment to do any ministry. And so we have a team of our ministry team, we call them the committed Christians. So we shorten that to the commitments. And those commitments are people who often end up joining the leadership team. But if someone's had a, something change in their life and they can't lead anymore, we have this ministry slide where they can move into another ministry or they can uh, move out of ministry if they want. And that's that opt-in, opt-out clause that Oldenburg talks about, that people are opting into community, not mm. feeling forced or guilted into it. And so we often say we'd rather run a ministry with less people than make people feel like they have to join. But when we do minister with less people, we just enjoy ourselves. And I say to our youth leaders, for example, like just hang out on a Friday night and enjoy yourselves as a group of friends. And if any kids come along, that's a bonus. And so it changes the way people think about it being this, oh, well, we need to get this going like a successful business. It's more like, well, we're just a group of Christians that are hanging out together. So yeah, that strategy that we have lends itself to a different outcome within the leadership team. Now, Cole Marshall, who wrote the book Trellis and the Vine, has a similar idea to uh, what we're talking about today, but he talks about every vine needs a trellis to grow up. The trellis in the church is the structures and the vine are the people. The who for him is the vine. And if the vine outgrows the trellis, that's not healthy. But also we can't spend all our time building trellises, you know, ministry models and ministries and events and things like that if the vine's not growing up. it. Mm. And so uh, what he has identified in that book is that uh, only about 20% of people actually help in churches in general and 80 percent of people just go along to church Mm. and so what i think he's trying to deal with in that book is trying to work out what's a proportion between people ministry and trellis ministry which is a similar approach to this Uh, what i think we've seen in soul revival is we we have because of this friendship approach of a ministry team being a group of friends first and we're friends because we're friends with Jesus and we gather together around the Bible and we we um, we then serve Jesus together that's that's how we express our friendship it's actually led us to have 75% of people at our church involved in some kind of ministry because it's a lifestyle and it's like a big family that's getting together mm-hmm. I think um, it's, some of the things that you've brought up there are also worth uh, digging into is uh, the actual decision to put someone in ministry in the in Rainer's book he talks about the process of moving people into ministry and helping people realize their their god-given gifts and skills but there's also a danger in filling positions too early Mm. and it's a real tension like between those two things i think so tim um i suppose that also it speaks a little bit towards uh, the three c's that you talked about before as well but how do we uh especially if people are looking to rebuild their ministries or rebuild the momentum that they perhaps have lost how do they balance that tension between of like wanting to go forward and go and 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 appoint people to positions but making sure they get the right people so that there isn't um it it doesn't uh, cause uh serious conflict or uh, issues within the church at the same time what do you think about that yeah i think one of the things we've learned over time is to be slow to a point and that's okay uh, so that's been important. We also have a fairly rigorous process, which um, Karen, our training pastor, has really helped with a lot in mm. thinking through how do we actually 
recruit and onboard someone. And there's quite a detailed process that we go through in terms of ticking off um, applications and um, obviously all the safe ministry requirements, but sitting down in talking with the person, having an interview with them that talks about who they are, how they became a Christian, what their story is, what values they have, uh, and thinking about those kinds of things uh, as part of them expressing interests in a ministry and all the way through to onboarding them with the particular gifts and skills, the job description um, and all the things that they will need. And so it's it's intentionally a slow-ish process because we don't want to rush it because we don't want to put people in a position that they're not ready for. Um, and we also know that um, it, it's okay to be patient in those times and to find the right people and to put the right people in the right role and it also depends on the type of role as well like not all roles are made equal um, and so the the process to get someone um, up the front reading the bible is going to be a little bit longer than asking someone to dry the plates up after breakfast mm. um, and there's going to be a longer process for getting someone involved in youth or children's ministry where there's a strong discipleship element and a regularity of every week because of the consistency of leadership that's required and those kinds of things. And so just being mindful that all the different types of roles that we have um, have different types of requirements. Uh, And that also helps to find if someone expresses interest in a particular role uh, and through that process realise that, well, maybe they're they're not suitable um, or they're not willing to meet the particular requirements of that role. So that's okay. Uh, let's you know, use the idea of ministry slide to say, well, if you want to be uh, you know, a, a youth leader, but you don't want to come in every week. Well, I mean, that's a requirement of youth ministry because actually we want the consistency of discipleship that comes from weekly ministry uh, and your weekly involvement, not just at youth, but also on Saturday night with late night um, and the way that you engage there. Uh, and if that's not something you want to commit to, that's okay. Let's find somewhere else for you to contribute to the life of church together. Because we do want to have this idea that we are a group of friends. Um, we have, you know, it, you, you all chip in. And another analogy that's often used is the, the idea of a, a large Christmas dinner uh, where everyone's there and everyone just kind of chips in because you're family, you're all there. Everyone plays a little bit of a role and it's okay that those roles are different. Um, not everyone has to... Um, bake the turkey because then you'd end up with 12 baked turkeys and none, none of anything else and that's okay um, and so part of seeing ourselves as a body of Christ be heaps okay that'd be pretty good wouldn't it um, so having those different responsibilities you know functioning as a body you know that's again part of our theological commitment is we're a body of Christ um, and all the parts of the body are different and so we want to be able to fit people into those roles in a helpful way that's helpful for them that's helpful for the community um and that will require fitting people to where they feel suited it will also require times when we stretch people beyond and set a vision for them to step beyond where they're currently comfortable say hey i'd love you to think about you know stepping beyond where you are now in order to maybe go join a a church plant that you're not currently part of to change gathering that you make your regular gathering for the sake of ministry um and yeah that's going to be part of those conversations as well yeah anything to add with that because no that's great well just going to ask you if if that's uh if you don't have anything to add that's just fine um there's probably some leaders that listen to this podcast and go like i even have the congregation but i still there's still like that 80 20 mm. mindset going on we talked about 
there's different ministries that have different roles. There's also, we, we often like to talk about like the easiest way to get involved in ministry is to swing on a tea towel and, and dry up the plates after dinner or something like that. Mm. What could we, what kind of recommendations could we give to some leaders who want to really uh, have um, uh, build momentum in their ministry but are not unsure how to start getting people involved in even just the easiest forms of ministry to begin with? Yeah, I think that's the start of really building momentum. Mm. I think we're really starting to get to the crux of this season with that question because I think that depending on your strategy of ministry you either need to build an efficient structure and then encourage people to be involved because it is efficient or I might, I might be oversimplifying it but you either build an efficient structure and make it really clear for people what's involved and how much time they're going to spend or you build strong relationships I'm not saying it's an either or, that's why I paused because I don't think it's as simple as mm. that because mm. you can have a really efficient structure and really good friendships. Mm. But what I'm trying to say is that the overarching strategy of relationship within the team or let's make this really efficient uh, can be a choice that people can make. And if you make the choice to make relationships the core p- piece, building momentum is going to look a lot different. It's not going to be about building a really efficient structure so that you can move the church forward. It's actually helping people to connect more, asking the question, can I help the people in my church grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus and with each other? Mm. And yes, knowing more about God through the Bible, but putting it into practice in relationship with each other. So the way I've always intuitively built momentum, if I see momentum starting to wane is I think oh the relationships within the leadership team must need some more time and more work uh, we we may need to remind people that the actions in the church not in the world that yeah there's lots of things to do in the world but there's so much action in the church and it's so awesome to be able to go to church and um, I think for me building momentum would start with a barbecue with the leaders and then after that barbecue or during that barbecue ask the question of what do we want to do? Who do we, why are we doing this? How are we going to do it? And what do we want to do? Uh, in that group to then also, uh, and again, this is going to be different for different leaders, but for me, it's actually saying, I want to be your friend as well as your pastor. I don't want to just be your pastor. I actually want to offer my friendship. Now you can opt into that or opt out of it. You might have heaps of friends and not want to be friends with me, but I actually really want to be friends with you. And so I'm really keen to be friends as I can and in what ways I can. And because it's really hard to be friends with 150 people or 200 people, that's why we create relational spaces on either side of our gathering so that we can be friends with each other and we can get to know each other and we can share life together. And uh, that means I don't end up on an endless round of going around to people's places for dinner. But what I do for the leadership teams is I do try and help them form friendship groups. So to build momentum uh, in the youth ministry that might have lost momentum is to say to the youth leaders, are we actually friends? Are we doing this because we really love Jesus and we really love each other and we really love the lost and we want to invite people into our lives or are we just running an event? Uh, If we're just running an event and keeping it efficient in our strategic thinking, it doesn't build momentum to just do the event better. It actually needs to have a, a better relational outcome within uh, the, the leadership team that then goes into the rest of the group. So that's a really interesting way to maybe wrap this up is that uh, building momentum starts with building momentum in our relationships and build around Jesus. Yep, building our relationship with Jesus yep. Yep. needs to be momentum in that 
and then our momentum within the leadership team mm. at the church and then the broader church. And if people are enjoying being together and that's where the fun thing comes in, if you're actually having fun and you like being together, it'll just draw more people together because yeah. people will see there's some action going on and having a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then, like, as you've, you've got, like, if those people are being regular, then more irregulars are more likely to want to be part of that more and more. And they more do. And, yeah. and there's no pressure to become regular. You just enjoy, enjoy the fellowship of the irregulars, and they, they're almost like in, welcome to be there and be a part of it as much as they want to. So there's no pressure to actually have to be a leader or have to come and help in a team or have to. So, for example, we have a week away once a year. We don't try and. I say each year, let's not try and push it. Let's not try and advertise it. Let's just let everyone know it's on and that we're going away for a week together as a church. If anyone wants to come, cool. And if the only people who want to come are Lou and my family, then we'll go away for a week away. And that's fine. Anybody else who comes as a bonus. And we end up having that booked out every year. So we had 250 people come this year to a week away. And it's a whole week away, not just a weekend away. And at a time where some churches are finding it difficult to even get their churches to go away for a weekend, so they just have a day together or a day in, um, we've kind of gone the other way, which is saying we want to have fun together and go on holidays. If you want to come, you're welcome. And I think that relational aspect really helps people to go, oh, I don't feel like I'm being advertised to or I'm being pushed to do it to support the success of the event. I'm just coming if I want to. And that is a real organic way to do it. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Tim, uh, before we wrap up the episode, I'd be remiss to ask if you've got any more final thoughts. My only thought as she was speaking was uh, you've got this balance between efficiency and friendship. And I think what we've realised is when you focus on friendship, uh, you counterintuitively end up with efficient systems Mm, because people enjoy doing the ministry and they creatively and in a sense of fun think about their ministry and continuing bouncing ideas of each other and end up doing efficient ministry. Whereas when you focus on efficiency, sadly, sometimes you end up sacrificing friendships and you end up with hurt relationships because people, I mean, people are intuitively not efficient. <laughs> you know, there's, there's always <laughs> frustrations with people. Yeah. And so when you focus on efficiency um, and that is the driving standard, you can end up sacrificing uh, friendships along the way because people are not going into the slipstream of your efficient system um, and or need require care outside of that system um, you know like the you know Jesus parable of the the lost sheep you know it's it's not very efficient to go after the one um, but it's very gospel and it's the heart of Jesus to go after the one and so um, the efficient thing to do would just to let that one go because you've got 99 and they're on track and they're doing things really well um, and so yeah, I think that there's there's something at the heart of the gospel which says, you know, friendship um, and focusing on the relationships that are centred around Jesus. Uh, so Jesus-centred friendships uh, is the, the driving fuel of ministry. And through that, um, yeah, you will find efficiencies through that as the byproduct of focusing on friendships. And I think that's a really key part. And I feel, like, I feel like you're more likely, if you're investing in relationships, you're more likely to recognise you know, perhaps the signs of burnout or people wanting to yeah, slow right. down on their ministry. You're looking after each other. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and that permission that we talked about as well, there's mm. the grace to have ministry slide. Yep. Yep. Um, mm. And that's okay. Um, whereas an overemphasis, an, an unbalanced efficiency may uh, not allow for that or pour guilt onto people uh, for feeling like they need to step back, whereas the friendship first gives permission. And I think that's a really nice, healthy way of looking at it. Mm. That's a lovely way to wrap it up. 
Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you to all our listeners and watchers as well. Uh, love to bring your attention to the Shogazorba Conference, which is coming up on the 29th of October. It's a Saturday. Uh, you can register at shogazorba.com.au and just hit the – there's a couple of links around there to check out the conference and what's going on with that. Uh, you can email me if you have any questions about what we're talking about. We talk, t- talked about a lot of stuff today. So anything that piques your interest and you want to ask more or learn more about it, you can email me, joel, at shogazorba.com.au. Uh, also jump on the Discord server, which is always in the sh- show links, so you can check that out and we can talk about it on there as well. Uh, thanks very much, to, as always, to our producer, Dave, who does an outstanding job editing and producing everything that we do. Uh, thank you very much to Stu and too. Tim. Stu and Tim. Thank you very much again, as always, and uh, we always like to finish with a one-way. One-way. One way.